Let's take our Bibles as we continue in worship and turn to the book of James. We'll be in James, the fifth chapter this morning. As you're turning there, last week, Brother Kyle did a great job in sharing with us how the gospel influences how we plan our lives. He used a term I'd never heard before, used before, and I really liked it, Christian atheist, the Christian atheist. A Christian atheist is a person who claims to be a Christian, but leaves God out of various areas of their life as if they live as if there is no God in certain areas of their life. He went on to say a a Christian atheist is a person who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist. They have faith in God for eternity, but not faith in God for this life. Now, nowhere do we see this more prominent than in a Christian and his money his money. That's what we're talking about this morning. Money matters. Finances are an area where many believers want to leave God out of that area. Many claim to believe in Christ, yet they spend their money as if the gospel is not important and that Jesus really doesn't exist. Many believers worry more about money than they do anything else. They can trust God with their eternity, but they can't trust God with their income. So today, we want to look at James 5 and see how the gospel impacts our wealth. Stand with me as I read God's word this morning. If you're able to stand, I just want to stand, read the word, and have prayer. I'll read it over you and pray for you, pray for us. James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word this morning. May you be glorified, and Lord, may our hearts be changed through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. (laughs) Tough passage, huh? As a matter of fact, it's a little frightening when you look at the words closely. You know, we've been talking about Christmas in July, and our son, KJ, just did the promo. He's a missionary to Paris, and how you give, when you give here, it allows him to do work in Paris, and the other ministries that we've been highlighting here. So we've been talking about Christmas giving. We mo- most times churches give more in Christmas than they do in any other month. And so we've been asking you to give, uh, especially during the months of July and August. And so we're excited about that. But when I read this passage, I thought about Christmas. But my thoughts turned to the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. You remember that? Portraying the life of Ebenezer Scrooge. And that can be a pretty frightening scene when he has that dream and all the chains and all the things that are going on there. Pretty frightening. 
And so as we think about Christmas in July, James chapter five, you know, James talks about weeping and howling, consuming your flesh like fire. James talks about a day of slaughter. And these are not pleasant things. These can be kind of like a nightmare. I think what Pastor James is saying, okay, dismiss the children to children's church. I'm going to talk to you about you and your money. And this is not going to be pleasant. <laughs> well, as we begin, let me ask and hopefully answer a couple of questions. James talks about the rich. Come now, you rich. Who are the rich? Well, in James chapter two, verse six, James says, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Is it not the rich who defame or blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? So James doesn't have a very high regard for the rich. Could it be that the rich were unbelievers who were outside the church? Or in James chapter two, James talked about how the church showed favoritism toward the rich. When they would come into the assembly, they got all the good seats. So we really don't know if James is talking about the rich in the church or the rich outside the church. We don't know. But regardless, he addresses the rich in this letter to the church. So he wants the church to hear what he's saying to the rich. Maybe he's talking about someone else, but he wants us to know, and he wanted the church, the recipients of his letter to know. And the second question would be this, are we rich? Most of us would quickly say, no, no way. I'm not rich. But let me remind you of the fact that we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. As a matter of fact, we live currently in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. We are today the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world. One writer says, I'm reminded how rich we are twice a week when I take out the trash. <laughs> he said, God has given me so much that twice a week I have to throw stuff out. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? I've never thought about that, but in other countries, third world countries, they don't pick up trash. Compared to the world's population, we are rich. The last question, and we'll move to the text. Do these truths in James chapter five apply to me? I believe they do, without question. I believe God wants to speak to each of us in this passage, and we need to be ready to listen, even if the words make us feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. This passage applies to us. So the question is not how much do you have, but what do you do with what you have? That's the question. Francis Chan says in this passage, here we learn what God cares about and we learn what makes him mad. When rich people exploit poor people, that's a big problem. God will turn the tables. James is teaching us, as all scripture teaches us, that our money matters in the eyes of God. So let's look first of all, the gospel and our wealth. The gospel impacts how we view our wealth. Verses one, and, one through three, James says, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now James is not asking the rich to feel sorry for the poor. 
James is not asking the rich to weep over their sin as he does for us in chapter 4, verse 9. Be miserable, weep, and mourn. We talked about our sin in chapter 4, verse 9. James tells the rich, listen to me, to weep for themselves. Weep for yourself. So he warns them about a misery that's coming upon them, it's coming on you. James is not telling the rich to compare themselves to the poor. He's telling them compare today with what's going to happen in the future. Today is a life of luxury. Today is a life of wanton pleasure. But let me tell you guys, be miserable, weep and mourn because there's coming a day. Weep and howl because there's going to be a day of judgment. So he's not asking them to compare themselves to the poor, but compare now with what's coming in the future. Now you're living in luxury and pleasure, trusting in your wealth. And that's the key. They were trusting in their wealth, living a life of luxury and wanton pleasure. But it's not going to be like that in the future. God will not be impressed with what you've collected. As a matter of fact, all that you've collected will serve as a witness against you. That's what James is saying to the rich. You will be held accountable for your selfishness and your neglect of the poor. They had accumulated wealth. Now, let me just, wealth in biblical days was really threefold. Number one, wealth could be measured in grain or food. And that was common to store up their grain, to collect food. Secondly, wealth could be clothing, lavish clothing. Third, wealth could be precious metals, silver or gold. And that's how they accumulated wealth in the day. Food, clothing, precious metals. What does James say? James says, your food, got a lot of it, but it's going to rot. Your clothing will be eaten by moths. Your gold and silver will rust. James says, all that they've accumulated, their wealth will be a witness against them. As God looks at their accumulation, their They're going to be held accountable for their selfishness and neglect of the poor. Jesus tells a similar story in Luke chapter 12. He said there was a man who was very rich. His land was very productive. And so he began to think, what can I do? Somebody said it's the the big landowner with little barns. He said, I'll build larger barns. And he said, that's where I'll store all my grain and my goods. And verse 19, he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You've got it made. You've got security because of the things you possess. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and yet loses his own soul. But Jesus called this farmer a fool because he trusted in his wealth for his security. See, the gospel impacts how we view wealth. Three simple principles that we see in the gospel. First of all, that all that we have comes from God. All that we have comes from God. We are not owners of what we have. We are simply stewards. A steward is someone who oversees the property of another. We don't own it. God lets us oversee it. God lets us use everything we have. And then thirdly, when it comes to wealth, 
We cannot take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. We can use it for the good of eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, for you in your name, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So as we as believers impacted by the gospel view wealth, we, just, we can't put our security in our wealth. We can't put our hope in our wealth. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely. Completely. In the Greek, that word means completely. <laughs> totally. Okay. I'm just being facetious, as Barney said. Completely. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And that's the way we regard our finances. Fix your hope completely. See, our stored up grain will rot. Our clothing will be moth eaten. Our gold will rust. All of our riches, our stocks and bonds, our homes and places, all that's going to pass away. We're foolish to place our security in our wealth. We're wise to use our wealth to lay up treasures in heaven. The gospel impacts how we view wealth. Secondly, the gospel impacts how we earn our wealth. Look at verse four. James condemns the rich man and says, behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And verse six, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So James calls them out in two areas about how they earn their wealth. First of all, they were guilty of withholding payment. They took advantage of their workers. They were cheating them of their wages by not paying them a daily wage. In ancient days, workers, the majority of the people were common workers. They had no savings, no reserves. So they would go out and work in the field, receive a day's pay so that their family could eat and have provision for the next day. When they didn't get paid, they didn't eat. That's why if they didn't work, they didn't eat. So if their wages were withheld, their family had no food the next day. And so in their distress, they called out to the Lord. And James says, you know what? God hears their prayer. God hears the distress of the workers who've been cheated out of their wages. They earned their wealth by withholding what was properly due. See, the gospel impacts how we earn our money. What does the gospel say? Do unto others as we have them do unto. We want to treat people fairly. We don't want to withhold what is due. We want to, as believers, we want to pay our bills on time. We want to pay what we owe. We don't withhold. We don't gain wealth by withholding what is due. Paul said in Romans 13, we owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That's what we owe one another. So they were guilty of withholding wages. Look at verse six. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, many believe that James was making a reference here to Jesus and talking about Judas, what Judas did. Isn't that what he did? He condemned and put to death the righteous man. Judas for 30 pieces of silver. 
betrayed an innocent man who was put to death. But there's a principle here for all of us who want to get wealthy regardless of the cost. We too can be guilty of putting wealth before the welfare of people. We can do this as employers and we can do this as employees. When we put wealth before the good of other people, what does that look like? Well, we cheat or we cut corners or maybe we even steal from others because of our greed. You know, many people think they can get by with cheating in all areas. I heard about a guy who wrote a letter to the IRS. He had cheated on his taxes. He said, I'm sending you a check for $500 because I cannot sleep at night with my guilty conscience. I've cheated you of $500. Here's the check. P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest that I owe you. So, uh, you know, but people cheat in a variety of ways. Did you know one of industry's largest expenses comes from employee theft? Some employees cheat with the time clock, which is a form of theft. Some steal and cheat by taking home tools or office supplies. Just being honest. The Bible says we're believers. We're going to do everything with integrity. Let me ask you, how much is your integrity, integrity worth? Is it a hammer? Is it worth a hammer from work? Is it worth a box of paper clips? Is your integrity not worth more than that? That's what most workers steal, just little things here and there from their employers. They think that greed they're motivated by greed. Here, here's the point. Greed can cause us to do wicked things if we're not living out the gospel. The gospel impacts every area of our life, especially how we earn our money. We are to honor the Lord in the way we earn our wealth. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 9, the scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. See, the gospel impacts how we earn our money, how we earn our wealth by realizing that we have a higher calling. We're not just working for our employer we're working for the glory of God. Do all that we do for the glory of God. As an employer, we're treating our employees as the Lord himself would treat those employees. We would treat them with integrity. We treat them with fairness. We would not use them, their expense to gain wealth for ourselves. We would do it the right way, the right way. We want our work to glorify Christ. We want to glorify Christ in the way we do everything, especially the way we earn our wealth. Thirdly, the gospel impacts how we use our wealth. Look at verse five. James condemns him. He says, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James condemns them for their use of their wealth. James condemns them for their indulgence. You have lived luxuriously on the earth. His words paint a picture of a life at ease. Luxury really means a soft life. 
These indulgences goes further into the pursuit of wanton pleasure, which describes a desire through their wealth to feed their senses and the cravings of their carnal nature. They used all of their wealth. They stored it to live in luxury. They used it on their own desires, their own pleasures. Look at verse five, though. He says, on this earth, on this earth, you have lived luxuriously on the earth. That's a key phrase because James, in the midst of his condemnation, is reminding them this is only temporary. While you're on the earth, you've lived in luxury. While you're on the earth, you've lived in wanton pleasure. But it's not going to be like that for very long. There's coming a time when a day of reckoning will take place. He warns them that a day of slaughter is coming. It's heading their way. Like unsuspecting cattle. I grew up around cows. I, and my dad used to haul pigs to Thomasville, Georgia. And right next to a poultry factory. And I, I won't get into all the you know, the gruel, the, the details here, but it's the way they process chickens is not real pleasant. You know, and the way they process pigs is not very pleasant. And James says, you're heading for a very unpleasant day of reckoning, a day of slaughter as a cow unbeknowing, a calf unbeknowing goes into the slaughter. If you continue in the direction you're going, that's the outcome that you will experience. So James says they're living a life of pleasure with no regard for the Lord and no regard for others. They spend their money on themselves or they hoard it up for an uncertain future. So how does the gospel impact the way we use our wealth? Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, beware. And that's a key word, beware. That's a warning, beware. And be on your guard, Jesus said, against every form of greed. For not even when, you, when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Beware. Greed and the misuse of money are things that we all have to guard against. See, there's only one way to break the wicked hold on our hearts that wealth and greed can capture. There's only one way to break that, those chains, and it's through the gospel of Jesus, through the gospel. We see we're masters. Paul says we're masters of the one we obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. The gospel sets us free from greed. Gospel sets us free from the strong desire for material wealth for our own good. It gives us a different perspective on wealth. So Jesus says, beware, but there's a warning. It can happen in the heart of believers. Greed, desire for material wealth, to hoard and to live in luxury. It's only through the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves, how will I or how do I handle what God has given me? Do I recognize that everything that I have comes from the Lord? You know, Paul asked the church at Corinth, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Can you agree with me this morning or think with me this morning that everything we have comes from God? Everything. There's nothing that we, our health, even to get up in the morning, go to work, comes from the Lord. The wealth that we have, the home we live in, the car we drive, if you don't believe it, just, it can be taken away just like that. Just like that. It's all a gift by God's grace. God has given us a cure for greed. It's very simple. God has given us a cure for greed. You know what it is? 
is called giving. <laughs> giving. Cheerful giving. We can fight our desire to hoard, to live luxuriously, to live selfishly by learning to be cheerful givers. It's very simple, isn't it? That's the way we fight greed in our life. We learn to give. And how do we learn to give? How do we do that? By being obedient. By being obedient. John Piper said, every time you give a tithe, you must deal with the desire for what you might have bought for yourself. To give is not to buy. And that weekly crisis is utterly important to maintain. We must fight covetousness every day. So giving is the way God helps us fight covetousness. Now, there are some here today who say tithing is not New Testament. We're no longer under the law. And I agree with that. We're no, no longer under the law. Praise God. But systematic giving is biblical, Old Testament and new. I won't argue with the amount tithing. Most people think 10%. We're commanded to give 10%, some people say. If you actually look at the Old Testament, it was much more than 10% when you did the math. I was raised to tithe. My mama's sitting here on the second row. Mama taught us well. 10% of every dollar we earned went to the church. When we cut Miss Brooks' yard for $2, 20 cents went to the church. There was never any question about that. My wife, Teresa, was raised the same way. Giving to the church was never an issue. 10% was the bare minimum. What we've done over the year, by God's grace, and just as a testimony this morning, I was sharing with a brother there this morning. He was sharing his testimony, having no idea what, when you honor God, God will honor you. And 10% is what I think is a bottom line, but it's just an arbitrary figure. There's nothing that says you've got to start at 10%. But I do believe that we need to be cheerful givers and give more and more and more. Grace demands that. I found that God's promises to be true are true. God's promises are true. God is the one who supplies seed to the sower. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Proverbs says there's one who withholds what is due and it results only in want. I think there's some people here today who are struggling financially and you're trying to wonder, what's going on? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Luke 6, 38. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. See, here's the tithing principle. No, it doesn't have to be 10%. And it is Old Testament. But with the way God provided for ministry was through his people. The Levites were his priests and they were set aside for ministry. And all the other tribes gave at least 10%, actually ended up 33 and third percent every year. They would give of their substance to the tribe of Levi so they didn't have to work. They could minister. And so that's the Old Testament principle of tithing. He said, we're no longer under the law. Well, Jesus in Matthew 23 says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He said, you need to continue to tithe to support the ministry of the church, of ministry, of ministry of God. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9. He looked at the sacred services going on in the temple. 
and that the priests were still living off of the tithe of the people. And they weren't believers, but they were serving God's Old Testament law. And so Paul looked at the temple, then he looked at gospel ministers of his day. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Tithing is God's ordained way to provide for ministry, for his ministry. The Old Testament tithe was to be a first fruits offering. What does that mean? That meant when the crops came in, the first offering, first part of the crops went to the Lord. They bundled it up and they took it to the priests. The very first fruits of their produce. Giving the first of the produce to the Lord meant that they were trusting him for the rest. Trusting him that more would come. Tithing is like a constant offering of the first fruits of the whole thing. The first tenth or the first portion is yours, Lord. Because all of it's yours anyway. And I'm trusting you to provide the rest. I'm giving back to you in faith that you will provide for me and my family. That's faith. Tithing reminds us all. Tithing reminds us all that everything we have comes from the Lord. Today is in Paul's day. God calls ministers, missionaries, and various support people to do kingdom's work. They're not to be bound by regular jobs, so their support comes from other believers, which frees them to minister. That's the ministry of the ministers here at Alberta Baptist Church. That's the ministry of you to the church, to the kingdom, to the community, to Paris, all around the world, through our tithes and offerings. So what is a tithe? It's a regular amount. You say, well, I can't afford 10%. Of course, my thinking is always you can't afford not to do it, but you start where you can. It's a regular amount that we give to the Lord's work that enables the gospel to be spread. It's a regular amount that we give to remind us that all that we have comes from the Lord and it all belongs to him. The tithe is a regular amount that we give that enables us to fight covetousness in our hearts and the wicked desires that the desire for wealth can place in our hearts. We're not above that. But giving is God's antidote to greed. Learn to be a cheerful giver. The gospel influences our lives and how we view wealth. It's all a gift from God. We're not to trust in it, we're to trust in him. The gospel influences how we earn our wealth. We're to work honestly and work for the glory of God. We're to earn so that we might have something to share with others. The gospel influences how we use our wealth. We're not to hoard our wealth and live selfishly, luxuriously. We're to use our wealth for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, you have blessed us in many ways, Lord, spiritually, physically, materially. Lord, everything that we have comes from you. Lord, it all belongs to you. And Lord, there are some in this room who are fighting that battle with greed and covetousness and selfishness and which leads to worry. 
Lord, they're anxious about their finances because they haven't learned to trust you with their finances. Lord, like the apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, I'm not asking about this for, our, for, for the benefit, for my personal benefit. I'm not really asking today for people to give for the benefit of Alberta Baptist Church. We're asking, we're teaching God's word. We're teaching the principles of God's word for your benefit, for the benefit of the church, that you might be able to trust God, to find freedom in the area of finances, to begin to become a cheerful giver, to begin to be obedient in this area. Lord, there's a strong condemnation for those who live in luxury to the neglect of the poor. Lord, may we be faithful, faithful to minister to the poor through the resources that come through this church. May we be faithful to minister to the kingdom that the gospel can be spread abroad, places like Paris and around the world. But only we, can, we can only do that as you move on the hearts of your people. Father, maybe someone here today that's never trusted Christ and all of this just sounds so foreign. To surrender our money to the Lord is only a part of surrendering our whole life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross that we might have eternal life in his name. Father, I pray if there's one here today that does not know Jesus, that even now during this time of invitation, they'd come and give their heart to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.